Hey, good morning, everyone, and welcome one more time to Encounter Church. Uh, as we get started, I want to welcome in those who are online and give a shout out to our Fulton Heights location that's joining us for our conversation today. Hey, I want to kick off our time together with a little audience participation. Uh, so raise your hand if you are good at waiting. Anyone good at waiting? I see two hands in a full room. <laughs> okay, now raise your hand uh, if you are like me and you are terrible at waiting. Okay, all the hands are going up. Fantastic. In fact, my family is here and I'm pretty sure they're saying, Kyle, put your hand up higher and leave it there. Uh, because the truth is, I'm terrible at waiting. I do not have good patience at all. In fact, in heaven, when God was passing out patience, I was nowhere to be found. I wasn't in line. I don't even know where I was. I, I was probably with all of you who just raised your hand. Hand. We were doing something. Uh, in, in fact, when I was a little kid, I remember I lacked patience so much. It would be Christmas morning. It'd be 4 a.m. and I was wide awake. I'd go into my parents' room. Mom, Dad, Santa came. It's time to open gifts. <laughs> True story, 4 a.m. They made me go back to bed. I still didn't sleep. I had to wait till, I don't know, 8 or whatever it is. Uh, I was terrible at waiting. My saying is waiting is dumb. Why wait when you can do it now, right? Uh, but we all have to wait. Uh, here's an example. <laughs> if you are under the age of 25, you have no idea what this is. Stop lying. This is Black Friday at Target before Amazon took over the world. See, there was once upon a time in Black Friday, you couldn't just click a button on your phone and, a, and, and an item would show up on your doorstep in two days. Uh, there was once upon a time where you had to wait for the paper ads to come out. I think it was on a Thursday. And you would get all of the ads with your family in the living room and you would flip through all of the ads and you would circle the items that you wanted to purchase. And you would organize the ads that would strategically plan your shopping trip in the morning. And you would show up at Target and wait in line for four hours for $2.99 DVDs. <laughs> Listen, some of you under 25, you're judging me right now, and I don't appreciate it. I really don't. <laughs> maybe we all can't relate to this one, but maybe we can relate to this. We were so close. We were two quarters away from ruining Taylor Swift's night. Just take the points, Dan. Just take the points. Looks like we're going to have to wait for next year to win the Super Bowl. Oh, man. Okay. What about this one? Wait. Why is that up there? We don't have to wait anymore. We're national champs. All right. Let's check out this one. Let's check out this one. Everyone knows what this is. This is the Secretary of State. Now, if you're not from Michigan, maybe in your state, you call it the DMV, the Department of Motor Vehicle. And it's a wonderful place. You show up, you wait an hour, no matter how many people are in line. And when you get to the counter, you pay money for who knows what. You don't even know why you're handing over money. You just give them money. Uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful experience. But if you've been there recently, they've made some improvements. Uh, there's a monitor in the Secretary of State now, and you get to, uh, the one that I went to, you get to pull a ticket, 
and on the monitor, it shows you your place in line. And it gives you an estimated wait time. Anyone experienced that at the Secretary of State recently? Okay, okay. (laughs) Oh, how I wish that life had a monitor that could show you your place in line with God. Oh, how I wish that life had a monitor that could show you your estimated wait time. Because here's what I know, that when you're waiting in life, as each day passes, trust gets a little bit harder, doesn't it? How do you trust God when you're waiting for a positive pregnancy test? How do you trust God when you're waiting for your parents to stop fighting? How do you trust God when you're waiting for your income to be greater than your bills? How do you trust God when you're waiting for the test results to come in? When you're waiting for a child to return to Jesus? Waiting for your boss to finally recognize your hard work and contribution? Waiting for the opportunity to send out wedding invitations with your name on it? I think this morning the list could go on and on. We're just scratching the surface. And here's what I believe this morning, that everyone in this room, Fulton Heights and online, we're all waiting for something. We're all waiting for something. And the question that I want to simply ask this morning is this, how do I trust God when I'm waiting? How do I keep my soul healthy when I'm waiting? When I didn't choose to wait in the first place, and when I don't know how long the waiting is going to take, and when I don't know how it's all going to end up, how do I trust God when I'm waiting? The good news this morning uh, is that I'm not going to teach this message. Uh, You already heard from me. I'm terrible at waiting. You don't want to hear from me, okay? (laughs) Uh, The good news this morning is that we're going to turn to a letter in the New Testament Uh, written by a man who knows what it's like to wait. And not just wait in line on Black Friday, but to wait in prison. And not just for a few days or a few weeks, but for four years. Uh, Today we're going to hear from the Apostle Paul. And I think if the Apostle Paul were here with us this morning, if he were standing right here, and if I were to give him my microphone, here's what I think he would say to us. If you're a note taker, I'd love for you to jot this down. Here's what I think he would say. I think the Apostle Paul would say, with God, waiting is not wasted. Instead, waiting is a setup. Let's explore this morning. Uh, For those of you who might be newer to the Bible, uh, the Apostle Paul is a prominent New Testament character. Uh, In fact, he is a church planter. Uh, So in his day, he would go from city to city. He would preach the good news. He would establish a church, and he would go on to the next city to do the same thing all over again. And oftentimes, he would write letters back to the churches that he established. um, And this is one of the ways that he could check in on them, encourage them. And those letters that he wrote make up a good portion of our New Testament. Now, one day Paul 
uh, was in Jerusalem. Uh, he goes up to the temple to pray. And when he's there in Jerusalem, he's met by some opposition. Uh, they start to hurl uh, accusations at him. They try to kill him. Uh, the city is in an uproar. And he ends up getting arrested right there in Jerusalem. And he would be carted off to the city of Caesarea, uh, where he would sit in prison for two years. Uh, he would sit there for two years because uh, the Roman governor there in Caesarea, he was waiting for a bribe. But Paul wouldn't pay the bribe. And so he spent 104 weeks, over 700 days in prison. Paul knew what it was like to wait. A new governor comes in and Paul, he appeals his case to the highest authority, uh, which would be in Rome. You see, Rome, or, uh, Paul was a Roman citizen, so he had the authority to do such. And so they ship him to Rome, and as he's on his way to Rome to get his case tried, he doesn't know this, but he would spend another two years in prison. Again, Paul knew what it was like to wait he knew what it was like to wait. And so as he's sitting there in prison in Rome, uh, the church in Philippi, a church that he established, one of the first ones, they find out about Paul's situation and they send him gifts and encouragement to check in on him. And Paul writes a letter back to the church at Philippi. And that's what we're going to take a look at. We're going to start in chapter 1, verse 12. This is right after uh, Paul's greeting to them. So this is what Paul writes in chapter 1, verse 12. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, meaning almost being killed in Jerusalem, being in prison for all these years, has actually served to do what? To advance the gospel. I've got to be honest here. I did not expect these words from Paul. You see, before we have Paul, he goes by the name of Saul. And Saul hated Christians. In fact, Saul was part of the mob that killed the very first Christian. Saul was a Pharisee. He was, uh, he was high up in the religious leader system. And he used his status and his influence and his time to find Christians to persecute them and to throw them in jail. That's what he did. And so one day when he's on his way to do this very thing, he has an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And in one moment, we go from Saul, the persecutor of Christians, to Paul, the church planter. You see, there's a big difference between just knowing about Jesus and having an encounter with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And when you have an encounter with him, you are never going to be the same. You see, Paul, from this moment on, he understands his mission from Jesus. Jesus makes it clear. Paul, your mission is to go and to preach to the Gentiles. Now, the Gentiles are essentially everyone who is not Jewish, and Paul understood this mission. He took it to heart. This was his identity. This was his purpose. In fact, in Romans, Paul writes this, thinking about the people who have not heard of the name of Jesus yet. He writes this in Romans. He says, and how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? You see, Paul understands that he was sent. 
Paul understands that it's his mission to go. This is what formed his identity. Paul had one foot out the door before Jesus even told him where to go. So my question is, Paul, how do you have such a good attitude when you're in prison, when you know that it is your deep, deep conviction to go and preach the gospel to the Gentiles, but you can't go anywhere because you're stuck in prison? You can't go anywhere because you're chained. Paul writes this. Again, verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. You see, Paul is chained but the gospel's not chained. Paul is stuck in prison, but the gospel's not stuck. Paul can't move, but the good news of Jesus is on the move throughout the whole palace guard. How is that so? It's because I believe there's someone on the other side of this chain. Mark, can you come help me out? see, Paul was imprisoned in Rome, but it's more like house arrest. What does he say? He said, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard that I am in chains for Christ. Uh, The whole palace guard, Paul there, is referencing uh, an elite group of soldiers called the Praetorian Guard. Uh, These guys were the fiercest, most elite soldiers. You did not want to mess with them, right? And and Paul, when he's under house arrest, he he doesn't just have the freedom to do whatever he wants. Instead, he he is chained at all hours of the day to a praetorian guard. Uh, I read somewhere that the guards would uh, run on a four-hour rotation. And so each day, Paul would be chained to six different praetorian guards. That's six guards who would have to listen to Paul pray. That's six different guards who would have to listen to Paul give counsel to those who would come to see him. When he was under house arrest, he was still allowed visitors. And so these guards would have to listen to Paul encourage those who would come to see him. There would be six different guards that would have to listen to Paul give thanks as he thanked God for his evening meal. You see, I don't know if, if it was a different six guards each day, um, but here's what I do know is that it's become clear throughout the whole 
palace guard why Paul is in chains. The whole palace guard is talking about Jesus. And I can just envision the break room for the palace guards, right? You can just envision it like, who is this Paul guy talking about? Uh, he says that uh, Caesar's not king, Jesus is king, but we, we killed him like I emailed and they confirmed we killed them. We killed the guy, but Paul says apparently we didn't kill him or he was once dead, now he's not dead anymore. And he like, he answers their prayers and he sends miracles from heaven. Like, hey, who's on guard next? Dave, you're on guard? Would you go find out? Would you get to the bottom of this? <laughs> and, and this is wild, Paul's calling is to go and preach to the Gentiles. But God says, Paul, in this season, I don't want you to go anywhere. Why? Because I'm going to bring the Gentiles to you. The gospel, or Paul, is chained, but the gospel is not chained. Why? Because with God, waiting is not wasted. Amen? Amen. Can you help me thank Mark? The gospel is not chained. Not only has the whole palace guard now heard about the story of Jesus, look what else happens. Verse 14, he says, and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become what? Confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without what? without fear. Now, why might they be afraid to talk about Jesus? It's because this is Rome, and it's because Nero is emperor, and Nero hated Christians. Uh, It's rumored at the time for entertainment, Nero would take Christians, he would put animal skins on them, and he'd throw them and lock them in a cage and release wild beasts to destroy these Christians just for entertainment. It's also rumored at the time that Nero would take Christians, he would dip them in hot wax, and he would set them on fire to light up his midnight dinner parties. This guy was brutal. You see, if you were a Christian during the reign of Nero, you didn't just have a target on your back. No, you had a target on every square inch of your body. So how, how do the people who Paul is talking about in verse 14, the brothers and sisters, how do they have the courage to speak the good news, the gospel of Jesus, that he came to seek and save those who were lost, the gospel saying that Caesar's not king, Nero's not king, Jesus is king. How did they have the boldness and confidence to say that when this is the landscape that they lived in? Here's why. It's because sometimes courage is contagious. Courage is contagious. Sometimes when everything is coming against you and you have the courage to stand, it gives other people the courage to stand as well. You see, when Paul was in Caesarea for two years and this shady governor wants a bribe, Paul won't pay him. And then he shipped off to Rome while he spent another two years and he will not stop talking about the name of Jesus. And because of that courage, it gives the brothers and sisters courage to be bold in their faith as well because courage is contagious. Um, this is such a silly example, but a few years ago, my wife and I were in Seattle and we are at a crosswalk 
And uh, there's a bunch of people on this side, right? They're all looking at their phones. No one's looking up. And I look, the light doesn't tell us that we can walk. But I look to my right, there's no cars coming. So I looked at Michelle, I was like, hey, I bet if we just start walking, people are going to follow. And sure enough, guess what happened? I broke a law, we start walking, and everyone just starts following. Why? Because courage is contagious. If you step up to lead, people are going to follow. But this is so good. Where did Paul's confidence come from? Where did his confidence come from? He says, because of my chains, the brothers and sisters have confidence to preach the message of Jesus with boldness. You see, Paul's confidence didn't come from his ability to be a great preacher. His, his confidence did not come from his success of church planting. You see, I think sometimes we think that if God is going to move in us and through us to impact those around us, I think sometimes we think that it's going to be because of our strengths, our weaknesses, our gifts, our successes. <laughs> when Paul says, that's not why they're encouraged, they're encouraged because of my chains. They're not encouraged because of my strengths, but because of my weaknesses. Could it be that your greatest asset to the gospel not be your strengths or your gifts? Could it be that your greatest asset to the gospel actually be your weaknesses? Because in your weakness, Christ shines brightest. It's four years is four years waiting, imprisoned. What does Paul learn? What would Paul want us to know today? I think he would say that with God, your waiting is not wasted. Instead, your waiting is a setup. It's a setup for two things. Number one, it's a setup for greater influence for God and number two, it's a setup for greater intimacy with God. A greater influence for God. The whole palace guard is starting to talk about Jesus. Uh, the brothers and sisters receive courage and confidence to be bold about their faith. And not only did the palace guard start to know and hear about Jesus, but there's evidence that some of those guards passed the line, crossed the line of faith and gave their lives to Jesus. Paul clues us in on this in chapter four, verse 22. He says, all God's people here send you greetings. Look at this. Especially those who belong to Caesar's household. You see, some of them have crossed the line of faith. And it was a setup for greater intimacy with Christ. Uh, a little bit later in chapter one, Paul writes these famous words. You may have heard them. He says, for me, to live is Christ and to die is what? To die is gain. If that's not intimacy, I don't know what is. So here's what I want you to know this morning. That whatever waiting season God may have brought you to today, it's not to beat you up. I want you to hear that. The waiting that you are in right now, it's not God's intent to beat you up, but to set you up. To set you up 
for greater influence for God and to set you up for greater intimacy with God. So what, what are you waiting on? Is it a promise to be fulfilled? Is it a, a, a dream to come to life? Is it for a relationship to be restored? Whatever season of waiting you might find yourself in this morning, can I just encourage your heart? With God, waiting is not wasted. Waiting is not wasted. Uh, there's one more thing that I want to talk about this morning. Um, here's what I think. I think that as we enter seasons of waiting, I think that if we're not careful, we can actually miss the purpose of God in the waiting. Uh, Hear me out for just a minute. Imagine if Paul had a bad attitude while he was in prison. Uh, Imagine if he said, God, I'm not gonna pray anymore because you've called me to go and preach and I can't go anywhere because I'm stuck in prison. Imagine if Paul said to the people who would need to see him for counseling, no, I can't see you because I don't want you to see me like this. Imagine if for four years Paul just sat in the corner crying because he thought his calling and his mission and his purpose was over and done. You see, I think, I'm just imagining if that's Paul's attitude, I think he misses the purpose of God in the waiting. So the question that I wanna simply explore is is how do I make sure I don't miss God's purpose in the waiting? How do I make sure I don't miss God's purpose in the waiting? Uh, Interestingly enough, you and I and Paul, we're not the only ones uh, to enter a season of waiting. Uh, Jesus himself enters a season of waiting. Uh, You could say that as Jesus grows up, even into his 20s, he is training for his earthly public ministry. Uh, He's training, he's training, and then uh, there comes a day where this beautiful moment where Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. Uh, He comes up out of the water. The text said that the, the Spirit of God fills him. And if you're reading, you would think at this point, okay, Jesus is ready. It's time to go and do your public ministry. God set him loose and let him go. But God doesn't bring him into the season of his public ministry right away. No, instead, uh, God brings Jesus into a season of waiting. The text says that the, the spirit of God led Jesus to the wilderness to wait where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. But we know that when Jesus was in the waiting, he received God's purpose. How did he do it? I think his how is our how. And here's what it says. It says this in Matthew chapter four, verse two. It said, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. (laughs) How many of you are like, if that's how, I'm in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I think, right? Thank you. You know, fasting simply means to separate yourself from something in order to offer yourself more fully to God. And in those 40 days and 40 nights, as Jesus is waiting, that's what he does. He offers himself fully to God. He is connected with God. And I can just imagine that as Jesus is waiting for 40 days and 40 nights, I can just imagine what the heavenly father is speaking over Jesus as they are so connected. I I hear the father saying this to Jesus. Jesus, I am near, 
I am good and I'm not done. And I think that's what Jesus repeats in his mind day after day, night after night as he's waiting. My father is near. My father is good. And my father is not done. You see, the story clues us in. When Jesus exits his season of waiting, he's not drained and discouraged. No, the text says that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. You see, God doesn't want you to leave your season of waiting drained and discouraged. He wants you to leave full of the Holy Spirit. When Paul was in prison, I can just imagine him saying over and over, God is near. God is good. God's not done. God is good. Okay, God, I'm going to keep praying to you. God is near. Okay, God. I'll continue to see my friends for their counseling appointments so I can speak wisdom and encouragement in their life. And God, you're not done. You're not finished. (laughs) Jesus, while I'm chained, the gospel is not chained. And he repeated that over and over and over again. So whatever season of waiting you find yourself in this morning, and you're asking, how do I make it? How do I trust God when I'm waiting? How do I keep my soul healthy when I'm waiting? How do I make sure that I don't miss God's purpose in the waiting? Here's how. When we remind ourselves that God is near, that God is good, and that God's not done. So I may not know what season of waiting you are going through right now. I might not know how long you're going to be there. I might not know how it's going to end. But here's what I do know. That with God, waiting is not wasted. There is purpose in your waiting. I want to tell just one more story as we get ready to wrap up. Uh, There's a picture on the screen. This is a picture of my wife and I with her family uh, the day that we got engaged. It's a few years ago now. And uh, to the right, you can see my wife's father. Uh, His name is Mike. Uh, A few months after I had met Michelle, uh, her dad was diagnosed with stage four cancer. Uh, Mike was a, he's a great guy. He's a great dad. I remember one time, when he learned, this was a couple weeks into dating his daughter, he learned that I didn't know how to change a tire on a car. He said, you're not going out with my daughter again until you learn how to change a tire. (laughs) And so he showed me how to do that in his driveway. (laughs) Uh, Into his battle with cancer, and let me just say, any season when you are watching a loved one go through cancer or a disease or sickness or you're going through it yourself, uh, that is the most difficult waiting season I think there is. Uh, As we were going through his cancer journey, it came to the point where uh, the treatments were no longer effective and uh, the cancer was spreading uh, too rapidly. And so they made the difficult decision to move him into hospice care where I think he was there for maybe four or five days. 
And uh, what was interesting is that even though inside his body it was wasting away because of the cancer, uh, he was still able to have a conversation uh, with the people who would come to see him. And we didn't know it now, but those four or five days, man, those were a gift. Those were a gift because he got to say goodbye to all of his family and friends. And Mike was a follower of Jesus, and so we know where he's at, and that brings us great hope. And uh, so many of his family members and his friends are also followers of Jesus. And so when they came to see Mike, they had tears of sadness, but they had tears of hope because they knew where he was going. They knew that Jesus was going to bring him home in a few short days. But I'll never forget Uh, there were two individuals who came to see Mike at hospice. Uh, They were not followers of Jesus. And it was so vivid and so clear, their responses, these these two individuals who didn't know Jesus was so different of a response from the people who did know Jesus. You see, the people who didn't know Jesus, they didn't have tears of hope, none. It was confusion and chaos and What's going to happen? And I'll never forget this. As I sat in that hospice room, I witnessed my mother-in-law and my father-in-law share the good news and the grace and the generosity of Jesus with these two individuals with such boldness and love and grace. You see, they could have sat in that hospice room and said, God, why why me, why us, why now? And we were honest with God with some stuff, absolutely. But they caught God's purpose in the waiting. And they took that opportunity to share the word of Jesus with such boldness and grace. So I I don't know what season of waiting you might find yourself in today. I really wish I could tell you when it's gonna end, how it's gonna end and what's all gonna happen, I don't know. But here's what I do know is that you and I, we can honor God in our waiting. We can draw near to him and as we draw near to him, he draws near to us. When we remind ourselves, he is near, he is good. He's not finished. I want to invite you to stand with me as we get ready to close. To allow uh, just a moment with you and Jesus, I want to invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads. Fulton Heights, I want to include you in on this as well. Uh, I wonder if you're here today and you would say, Kyle, man, this, this message was for me. Um, I am in a season of waiting and it's tough and it's difficult and I don't know how it's going to end, but you would say, Kyle, I want, the, I want the heavenly father to simply remind me that he is near, he is good, and that he's not finished. If you need that reminder today from your heavenly father because you are in a season of waiting, would you just go ahead and slip up your hands so I know who I can pray for this morning? Just go ahead and slip it up. There you go. Yep, I see hands going up all over the room here. Can't wait. Full nights, you as well. All right, I want to pray for you. Jesus, thank you so much for this time. God, thank you for the story of Paul. 
that even though he was imprisoned for four years, his waiting was not wasted. God, we thank you that in his season of waiting, there was purpose purpose that the whole palace guard would be introduced to Christ, that some would cross the line of faith, and that the brothers and sisters would receive confidence and boldness and courage. We thank you for the story of Jesus, that when he is in the season of waiting, God, you were near to him. You gave him strength. You comforted him. And when he left his season of waiting, he was full of the Holy Spirit, and he went to to preach and proclaim the kingdom with such boldness. We thank you for the story of my mother-in-law and father-in-law, who even though they were going through the most difficult days of their lives, they understood that there was purpose in the season, in the waiting, and they took that moment in that purpose, and they proclaimed the gospel of Jesus to people who didn't know you yet. God, there is purpose in the waiting. With you, waiting is not wasted. So Jesus, I pray right now for the individuals who raise their hand and say, God, I'm going through a season of waiting and I need to hear from you. Jesus, I pray right now that you would whisper to their hearts that you are near to them, you are good, and that you're not done. They might not know how it's going to end, They might not know how long they're going to have to wait, but you are a God that is near, you are a God that is good, and you are a God that is not finished with our story. And in that we place our hope, and in that we place our trust. And we give you the praise for it. And in Jesus' name, and together, everyone said, amen.